Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor of Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is with the American artist and musician Laurie Anderson. Over five decades, Anderson has been a crucial connecting point between the American avant-garde and the world of music. But although, you speak although she's best known for topping the charts with the 1981 hit Oh Superman, it's her experience in the worlds of performance and multimedia art that shape her deep and lasting contribution to culture. Here she speaks to Jordan Rothline about the ideas shaping her latest work, Songs from the Bardo, covering everything from Tibetan Buddhism to technology, death, and the role of art at the end of the world. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Laurie Anderson is up next. Suffering is no use. Even though you are attached to your relatives and family, it is no use. So, do not be attached. Invoke the Lord of Great Compassion and there will be no suffering or fear. I wanted to start out by asking you about songs from the Bardo. I'm hesitant to call it your new album because it's a collaborative piece. Is that right? It is a collaborative piece, yeah. It's not really my new album, but it's um it's an interesting project because we just did the first version of this with zero rehearsal. We didn't even meet each other before this. We just showed up at the Rubin Museum. Tenzin started to read. Uh, t- I, I started to read. Tenzin started to play. Um, Ruben started to play, Jesse started to play, and then we just suddenly were at the end of it. And I have to say, when you don't rehearse or don't even read what it is before you begin, you say the words in a different way because you're seeing them for the first time, and so are the people listening. So it's very intense. 
It's very now, and it was. It felt, it felt very ritualistic, you know. So it was very much in the spirit of what that piece is. And it was a trans. I, I was familiar with it because I knew a lot about that from studying with Robert Thurman, who has done a really beautiful. I guess it's five CD collection of. Um, in the between, it's called, and it's the first lines of that are. I have to tell you, this is the Tibetan Book of the Dead. But the first thing I have to say is there are no dead people. Let me repeat: no dead people. There are no dead people. You're like, well, wait a second, <laughs> where is this going? So he takes you through the bardo and what happens. And I've been thinking about that a lot in the last few days. And I actually read that text yesterday, the whole thing, while I was sitting in a funeral home with the poet John Jerno. He was a very good friend of mine, and he was a Tibetan Buddhist as well, as I am. And he's lying there in his coffin, you know, and um, I was there with Ann Waldman, who is a poet, and also had worked with him a lot. Now, this is the guy who was the model for Warhol's sleep, okay? He was the guy who Warhol famously filmed uh, asleep for not eight hours, but maybe six hours. You see his chest rising and falling and rising and falling. It's in the new MoMA that just opened up. You know, it's very prominently displayed because it's a it's a very iconic Warhol work of art, sleep. Yeah, it's one of the most, maybe one of the most infamous ones and in like a catalog of infamous artworks. In a catalog of infamous, sleep is right up there. Sure. So I was just watching Johnny in his coffin thinking, wow, I wish he'd wink at me or something. You know, he was, his spirit was, was if there's anybody ready to die, it was John Giorno. He wrote about it all the time. He also wrote a book on, a, a poem called Bite the Tongue of the Corpse. So Ann Waldman bent down to kiss him, and she said, should I bite, pull out his tongue and bite it? That would be about the most transgressive thing I could think of doing, the most John Journal thing I could think of doing. She didn't do it because, well, his mouth was glued shut, for one thing. I don't know if this is something for a podcast, but <laughs> go, go for it, you know? Because, you know, John went for it, and DeBardo goes for it. It makes no... The Tibetan Book of the Dead goes for it. It's all about what happens when you lose your body. You know, it's very hardcore, and there are lots of things about skeletons full of blood. Oh yeah, you know, it's it's very it's very Halloween. It's very wild, and of course, these Halloween figures are are the fierce warriors that that you need to fight against the things that you have that need cutting, like your jealousy, like your fear. Those things don't just go away because you say, oh, I shouldn't be afraid. You need something to scare them away. So that's what these demons are for. Yeah, I was struck listening to the record, I mean, by a number of things. I think for anybody who is not super familiar with Tibetan Buddhism, it some of the imagery and sort of the vibe of the whole thing is maybe quite different than what a lot of people would just expect, right? I don't know what people expect. Exactly. I really don't. Yeah. I, I stopped wondering that a long time ago. But, so I like adventurous listeners. People oh, absolutely. People are going to go, what's that? Check it out. 
Wow. But I also Skulls found... Skulls full of blood. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> but I also was really struck by the sort of intensity of it, but never it never felt overly intense. And there was <laughs> there's a sort of a, like a joy maybe or or this... I don't know, kind of overall optimistic. Sure, it's very optimistic. It's very optimistic. It's not, and I just noticed yesterday when I went to this funeral home, there was also another funeral going on and everyone was crying. There was a long line of people wearing all black and they were all crying. Our funeral, everyone's wearing really colorful clothes and they're laughing and having a good time. And John was full of joy. He wrote a million things about dying and what that adventure might be. And so a lot of Tibetans came to the, or not Tibetans, people, people who are, you know, artists and meditators and people who are, are not like, and who have thought about this. It's not a shock to us that we're going to die, particularly. I had a feeling like with the other funeral, it was like so shocking to them that their friend died. They were like, what? What? <laughs> dead, dead. You know, so John was always a... Uh, writing about it and a very funny wonderful person who invented dial-up home and and many many beautiful works about what it means to to turn into light so it was a, a kind of a celebration of john's life you know for a couple of people who are his nearest and dearest they were crying okay i mean i'm not just saying you don't feel like crying when you're losing your partner you do it's it's not a, it's not a thing where you're going oh fine john was fine you know you're crying but for for us as friends we were having what could be called a good time obviously when when someone leaves this this earth there's there's some sadness to it mm -hmm. but i think what i'm hearing from you is that you know and i think this ties back to uh songs from the bardo you know it and, and, and this is that yeah. Is that you know what what you said at the very beginning of this conversation? Like, you know, it's it's not about dying. There are no dead people right. here. It sort yeah. of is about it's about a journey and a very particular part of where that we journey. are in time. Yeah, and for people who are um, Buddhists, uh, the belief is that um, it's very important not to cry when someone dies. You don't want to because the belief is that 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 consciousness is still has a kind of awareness, and you do not want to call them back because they can't come back. They can't. So you can't go, oh, please don't. No, you just go, wow, sail off. Try your best. Jump off the planet. Go for it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know. So you try to generate a lot of positive energy. And that helps you as well. And not to cry. So don't cry. And... I think it helps people focus on the fact that this is not about them so much as it is about the person who died, who needs a little lift at the moment, probably, you know, might be a little confusing. So we, uh, living people, could uh, just help a little bit, like, just by not uh, trying to go, don't go away, you know. So anyway, that's the that's the reason I think that those things are more cheerful events than I suppose if you thought that your father, mother, sister, brother, little 
cousin was going to disappear forever into a void, that would be, or go to to hell or heaven, it would be a different situation. But so, and I'm not saying anyone should believe anything in particular. You know, I, I, I think go for it. Whatever, whatever makes sense to you, whatever stirs your heart is what you should believe. Uh, I, I, I believe that uh, that consciousness remains in some form. I don't know why, because nobody knows why they believe something. It's not a rational thing. Obviously, you just have a feeling. My feeling is that your consciousness continues in some form. No body, but very different. I found myself, uh, you know, as someone who is not, who had heard of, you know, the bardo, but was not so familiar with the text itself before yeah, listening to your piece. You know, it's very esoteric. It's I did find myself, you know, belief set aside. I felt, I really felt something when I was listening to it and I felt a, a connection to it. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first time you came across this text? Not really, um, but it, it does ring a bell in the sense that when I read other texts that are about afterlife situations, I can also get very interested in Dante's version of heaven and Dante's version of hell and and different versions of it in the Bible. My grandmother was a, you know, a Baptist mis- missionary and went to Japan to try to convince Japanese people of that total immersion was the way to go. And she didn't bother to learn Japanese. You know, she just thought by singing hymns and that people would get the point somehow. They did not. Um, but one of the things that did happen was that she was a very vain southern lady and she made her own hats. And they were really wild, elaborate hats with violets and veils and stuff hanging from them. And, and the Japanese people were looking at those hats and they went, whoa, what do you can you show us how to make those hats? So she showed them how to make the hats. And she was also a gardener, and she loved roses. And she saw them cutting bonsai, and she was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. So they taught her to cut bonsai, and she taught them to make hats. That's a lot. You know, how are you going to change somebody's belief system? You're not, really, probably. You know, when people really see the light on the road the way Saul and Paul did, you know, and this kind of conversion stuff. That's very, very rare. Usually you kind of believe what you you first were taught somehow about what happens when you die. Then someone says, well, all your deeds are counted and you're judged and then you're assigned another place as a reward or a punishment. Others, nothing happens. When you're dead, you disappear forever. And so it's very important to be a good person now and be fair now and help other people now. Um, Buddhists are, here you are in the wheel of karma. And there's a big question, okay, here we are at what could be the, the first really humans to look at the potential end of human life on the earth. This is who we are right now. We're faced with that. No one has ever had to look at this before. We're the first ones who go, whoa, 
how do you tell a story of human life ending on the planet? Which it very well may. I don't think it's 50 years. I think it's more like 500 years. But I think it will end. It's one of the first times, if not, well, it must be the first time, you know, the, the idea that the world is coming to an end has been sort of a part of the human dialogue yes. since the beginning of time, but yes. we've never had empirical evidence to back it up. Right. And we never will um, until it happens or doesn't, you know. And in any case, um, we do see the collapse of life systems and we do see the collapse of of many, many things and can, you know, extrapolate from that that it's probably, it's not looking good. On the other hand, how do you tell that story? Is it a st- to to people who are aren't there? If you believe that stories are are told to people who might listen, how do you tell a story to no one? This is our the first time we've had this awesome job <laughs> telling this story to no one. And so when I asked one of my Buddhist teachers. How, what happens to the wheel of karma when no people are left? How do they incarnate again and again the way the Dalai Lama says they do? How do you come back if there's nothing to come back into? There's no body, even an insect to come back into. Of course, you could come back as an insect. Many people do. But he said, well, I said, you what, you know the answer? And he said, yeah. He said, that's why the Buddha talked about other universes. I was like, oh, wait a second, that sounds like the biggest cop-out ever, because that's easy to say, you know, we're talking here about, the, you know, our planet and what's going on here. So anyway, it, it's all a, a very wild time to be living, because um, it is absolutely true that we're in the sixth extinction. There's kind of no doubt in any way about that. What happens to us, we just don't know. And that's a, an amazing place to be. It's an amazing, it just wakes you right up. You're going, what is this? What is any of this? How could this happen? I mean, it has happened five times, so it's going to happen again. It's not, you know, the, it's not like a, something that's completely weird. It, it, <laughs> you know, so anyway, um, but it's completely weird in that we, it's like a Greek tragedy, which is the definition of a Greek tragedy is you, everyone can see that things are going horribly wrong, and but everyone's acting in the way that they need to act, mm. and they can't change, and still things are going horribly wrong, and, you, and you're conscious of it. Mm. That's a tragedy. So that's what this is, you know, it's something we can't stop. What you've just told me, and sort of the whole way that you've, you've talked about this, like looking at a big issue like mass extinction or like climate change, the moment that we're living in right now, and then saying, how do you tell the story of that, mm-hmm. feels to me like quite a good summation of the way that you work as an artist. Looking at something quite big or looking at a a big topic, whether it's untellable, something, an un- untellable topic, right? And and decide well instead of instead of framing it up for people in some really obvious way, I'm going to tell the story of that in, in mm-hmm. the way that I know how. 
the world is full of stories about how to deal with this. And one of them, of course, is the biggest one is, oh, no, technology will, will, will figure out how to do that. You know, and, and I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a geek. But I see no technology being developed to, you know, prevent massive immigrations, massive fires and floods and melting of water, you know, and the creation of rafts and so on and so on. You know, and people who do say that, you know, who think that the fire engines of technology will come in at the tipping point, which is very close now, and solve things when they're not even working on them, is insane. So please don't be an insane person, you know. <laughs> so, I, I, And I know that that's really dark, but... Um, it seems to be truthful to me, and I also I think, and I can't remember who said this, but it's one of my favorite quotes about technology. See, if you think technology will solve your problems, you don't understand technology, and you don't understand your problems. <laughs> you know, so if you want stuff to get faster, quicker, better, slicker, go right ahead and sign up for the next, you know, update. But if you think that it's actually looking at some of those things that and and really, I mean, of course, some some people are, of course, of course, desperately trying to to f- see if there's something we can do. I am too. I'm not just going to stand by and be hit by a big wave. I'm going to to see and do everything I can to to live and and to think about the future of. Of people, but uh, I I I also don't want to be an idiot just thinking like, oh yeah, don't worry about it. It's gonna be it's gonna solve itself, or we'll solve it or something. There's what? something today in the paper about eating insects. Did you see that? I didn't, but I've heard about this. Yeah. That this is uh, plenty of food around. Exactly, <laughs> that might be true. It could be. I have a studio because I do a lot of paintings right now. I have a studio out in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. I'm next to a place. A startup that's doing companies about growing all your own food in your house. That means wheat, rice, protein. You know, that may that may work. I don't know. Yeah, how, how how large of a house are we are we talking? We're talking about an apartment. Wow. This is like how much do you really eat? You know, how many how many how many uh, cups of rice per year do you eat? Count them up. I don't know. You don't eat 300 cups of rice, probably. But you eat 300 cups of something. Anyway, that might be just a crazy dream. Um, And I don't think they're counting on you having a big loft. I'm thinking they're counting on you having a regular house or apartment. And not a small one. But a place where you can grow this stuff. I don't know. I mean... I'm all for everybody doing everything they can to make it a better, the world a better place. And and uh, I just think that probably, you know, I just heard about the cancellation of this show called New Sounds on WNYC. Yeah, I know it. Yeah, John Schaefer's show. And I was so sad to hear about that. And, and they were asking me about it. And I was saying, you know, why did they cancel that? Well, because they want more news. I was like, are you insane? More news? We need less news. We need less news, more music. Not more news, 
people are drowning in news. They're, they're looking at the news every 40 seconds. Like, well, I am. I shouldn't blame other people. I mean, they're probably, I don't know what they're doing, but I'm looking at way too much. I'm just a junkie, I have to admit. I'm very worried, and I look at it all the time. Do you? Oh, of course. It's hard not to. Yeah. But what I sort of wonder from, you know, from everything that you've been saying, you know, what is kind of the role of art in all of this? What, what do you feel like your role as an artist is in all of this? Save the world. And how do you save the world through your art? You, you take people away. You know, you, you um, open their minds. That can, other things can do that, too. For some people, food opens their minds. They're like, have a glass of the greatest wine. They're like, yeah, I, my mind is open. You know, so I think one of the ways to do that is music. Um, it's why I love VR, too. If virtual reality it helps you be bodiless. It's like being in the bardo. You know, you're, you're, although you have some virtual hands you have some virtual you know you need your body to be in that actually in a certain virtual way unlike music where you can just listen to it very passively or look at a painting you don't need your body you need your eyes but you don't use your body to walk through it so anyway uh kind of a pointless point but (laughs) um i think that you can find freedom in many ways uh, and everybody has a different way to find it. I find it to uh, making things to break the rules, and and I like seeing where those boundaries are, and I like bending them. That uh, makes me feel good. <laughs> well, it sounds like you, you know, you take quite a lot of inspiration from what's happening out in the world. Maybe it's news, maybe it's science, anything like that. You're able to kind of filter it through. Uh, your artistic sense, are you then hoping that maybe, and maybe this is where the saving the world part comes in, that it kind of feeds back into that science and news cycle and is able to affect things in some way, inspire people in different ways? I don't think it has much effect uh, on politics, for example. I think people are so led by their news sources right now and and I, I feel that that this is the gap that troubles me the most, that that you can make something sound quite real and you can make it sound rational and like news. And it, in fact, it's kind of propaganda. So I see that happening and in all aspects. I mean, in all aspects of the both liberal and conservative, all the way across the board, that it's, it's opinion as opposed to as far as as close as we can get to actual events, and and we can't get that close anymore because they they're so full of opinion. But I I do feel that it's become so chaotic that I'm worried. I have to say, I'm worried that there's so much screaming. Everybody's just going, "I'm right." No, I'm right. Nobody's going. Why? Tell me what you think. It's like you know, if a Mormon came to my door and said. Can I? Can we talk? I would say, absolutely, come in. And before you tell me about your beliefs, can I tell you about mine? Have a seat. <laughs> you know? Has this ever happened before? No, but I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready when somebody does knock on my door. It would probably never will. But they don't want to hear your beliefs. No way. 
They want you to be a golden star in their crown. So we've stopped listening. So I, I'm a big Cage fan. Listen up. Listen to the. Listen to other people. It is hard to listen to braying though, and to like lock her up. That's hard to listen to for me. And I so I just think be patient and um, and see w- how these other opinions that seem so different from your own are being formed and why. So um, I make an effort to do that, and I very rarely succeed. Has there ever been a point, a previous point in your career where it's felt quite like this? No, no, never. No, and, no, and where does not that in my of... life, not in my career, not in my wildest dreams. Could I ever have thought that people would be talking about the end of life on the planet? That's just, that's just like inconceivable to me. That's just the wildest, craziest thing I've ever heard. I would, when I was a kid, I would never think that that would ever happen. So my mind is officially blown, you know, and also I would not think that there would be so much violence in this country and so much fear and so much anger. This was a, this has been a big, big shock for me and many, many, many people feel that way, I'm sure. I know that it's, it's very destabilizing to, to realize there's just a thin crust and underneath that is just unbelievable amount of anger. This is one of the reasons I'm drawn to Buddhism is it tries, you know, it's not about pretending it's not there. It's kind of recognizing. For me, making a record like this was a way to uh, kind of come to terms with what it's like to live now. Of course, there's never a solution. It's just we just keep trying different ways. If you are afraid, you will escape from the lights of wisdom and be attracted to the soft lights of the six realms of existence. Under the influence of bad karma, you will be attracted to the soft white light of the gods. Under the influence of aggression, you will be attracted to the soft, smoky lights of the hell beings. Under the influence of pride, you will be attracted to the soft, blue light of the human beings. Under the influence of intense desire, you will be attracted to the soft yellow light of the hungry ghosts. And under the influence of envy, you will be attracted to the soft red light of the jealous gods. They are an obstacle blocking the path to liberation. And if you are attracted to the soft lights, you will circle forever among the six kinds of existence. So give up pride, aggression, desire, 
and envy. Give up your unconscious tendencies. Feel longing for the luminous, brilliant light ray hooks of compassion. Awakened one, listen without distraction. Even though you were shown the light of each of the five families, you were bewildered by them. If you had recognized the natural radiance of the wisdom of those five families as your own projection, you would have dissolved into the rainbow light. In the body of one of the five families and become a Sambhogakaya Buddha. So now, watch without distraction. the sixth day, the five families will all appear together, and what is called the Four Wisdoms combined will come to invite you. Recognize them. Beyond those Buddhas of the five families, the eight wrathful male and female guardians of the gates, and the six sages will also appear. Samantha Batra and Samantha Batri, the All Good Father.